my name is Jamie. My middle name is Nami, which was given to me by my grandfather. Uh, my last name is Kim, which is the most Korean last name you could find. Nami is nice because Nami is also um, an, a, a name you can use in Japanese. And, and that's important in my story because, I mean, the way that I explain to people, I'm Korean, but I'm also Japanese. Yeah. And the reason why I'm also Japanese is that, well, I mean, there's a historical context in that Korea was annexed by Japan. Mm. Um, the, the not so glorious part of our family history is that my great uncle on my father's side was a collaborator with the Japanese. So when the war was over, he had to flee before they captured him um, for wow. being a collaborator. And there's this really crazy story that my dad told me quite recently um, where, so his father was the younger brother of our, of this great uncle. And so great uncle left, Korea was, you know, very, very poor. Many people were starving at that mm -hmm. time. And so when our great uncle went there, he said, hey, you know, there's a better life that could be had in Japan, as many Koreans did in that period. And so my, my grandfather fled also with his children, my dad, his brother and sister, I believe his sister was already born at that time. And they fled in the middle of the night. Wow. And there's this story, he says, there's this story. He doesn't know if it's true because his dad would often embellish stories to make them more interesting. Um, but that he was being carried by his father and his father, my grandfather was carrying a sword and waving the sword as they were running towards the boat. And they ran to the boat, they got in the boat and then you know the boat went to Japan. This was just after the second war. So my, my father's family essentially had to Japanize themselves. Yeah. Um, again, as many Koreans did, but of course, you know, you could be identified very e easily to be Korean. But my, my family, because they had some privilege because of my great uncle, they were able to integrate mm -hmm. more secretly, but yeah. they also had to move a lot while they were there because, and this is another story, is because Koreans are very, let's just say they're very connected to their food. Right. And so my grandmother was still making kimchi. Mm -hmm. And then the story goes is that people could smell it. And our last name there is Nakamura. Mm. And they say, oh, the Nakamuras must be Korean. Mm. And so then that they would have to leave again and try to find an, a new place where they could pretend to be Japanese. So we are very, um, you know, with my, with my family on my dad's side, we all speak in Japanese. Um, I went oh, to Japanese school. Um, my father, I think, I mean, I'm sure he has his own way of explaining it, but he has like a kind of a trifecta in identity. He is, mm -hmm. I think, I think he is Japanese first. I don't know if he would say that yeah. he is Korean second and he's, he's Canadian third. Mm. Um, mine probably works in reverse where I'm Canadian first, Korean second and Japanese third. It's interesting. You, you flipped the order like Korean second, Japanese third. How does that come about? Um, I think it's a bit of a choice, to be honest. And this is probably a little bit more um, comes to fruition as I came to fruition as I became an adult. Um, I only went to Japanese school as like my second school outside of regular school. I never went to Korean school. Um, so definitely I speak Japanese far better than Korean. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I feel more Korean. 
I think when I when I think about drawing from my ancestors, I'm really drawing from my Korean ancestors. Like I really draw from what it must have took for yeah. um, my father's side of the family to make the decisions that they did. And I also think about the Koreans in Japan and just in some ways you have to become Japanese probably on the inside, you're also becoming, you're also still even more connected to your Koreanness. Right. Um, and, and what are they specifically? Like when you talk about, is it more about the food you eat, the culture you identify with? I mean, it's hard for me to say because I'm not, I'm not that, right? Because yeah. I am Canadian first. I think a lot of it has to do with food. I think Koreans are very different from Japanese people. Mm. Um, I think I, I talk about Koreans being the Latin people of Asia. The they're Latin, just a, yeah. yeah, they're just a little bit more fiery, yeah. right? Um, and there's something that can't be um, extinguished. Koreans, of course, have been oppressed people many times over. So that is also very different from being mm. colonizers as the Japanese have been. Right. So, you know, there are things there that I think I have inherited um, unknowingly, like I'm not totally conscious to these things, mm -hmm. um, but I think it has fed into something that has been true of me, which is I've always just had this interest um, to go for the underdog. Like if I'm watching sports, yeah. Even though I have like a favorite team, I might have a favorite team. Like I'm still rooting for the for the team that's like expected to lose. Right. And and is that support? Is that rooting a fight against the authority, or is it more about you want to you have compassion for the underdog? You want to let them seen as well. Um, it's definitely the latter. I, I I don't have like a fighting kind of energy. Mm -hmm. I have more of the empathetic compassionate energy I have like a bleeding heart <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, that's the thing I feel like I've inherited um for sure that bleeding yeah. heart and so it feels like it has to bleed for something and tell me more about the bleeding heart how has that manifested in your life I have like a very early memory of when when that first happened I think I was in grade four or five there was this girl that everybody everybody picked on you know, she had very popular cousins, mm -hmm. you know, they were, their Greek family, her cousins were like, sort of the, the starlets of the school, and she was kind of considered the ugly duckling. Mm. And I remember sometimes she would walk down the hall, it was so awful, kids are so, can be so mean, everybody would push their backs up against the wall to avoid her. And I remember um, in my class that, you know, the teacher decided to put the the desk together as pairs yeah and you know you kind of like had a, an opportunity to choose and something happened and I remember his name was Mr. Haas Mr. Haas said and Jamie you're gonna sit with Helen mm. and everyone was like oh you know just like being again so terrible yeah you know I had this moment where I was like I'm gonna help her yeah you know this sucks yeah you're gonna help Helen I'm gonna sit with her and I'm gonna become her friend screw them. And so that, you know, that's one of my earliest memories of like having this moment of making that choice and having clarity about that. And then there have just been other moments. I think like, I didn't know, it's not like I knew that that's what I was trying to do. Right? Yeah. Um, but I've had other subsequent moments where 
not necessarily um, underdog, but more people who are suffering. An earthquake that resulted in a kind of typhoon in, in Thailand. That must Thailand. have been early 2000s, I think that that's when it happened. And mm-hmm. I remember putting together like a fundraiser mm-hmm. at work and trying to, and this is when I was working, started to get into like the creative industry. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, well, you know, here we are, this was in Toronto, living with all this nice stuff, privilege. What are we doing for these people? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I did a fundraiser and, you know, that, that ended up becoming something where I felt like I was proving something to myself. When, when that first one happened, I think I've never really identified this as a turning point. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay. This is actually not very hard. And this is nice. People feel good when stuff like this happens. Yeah. And so I kept doing stuff like that. Um, my career is an unconventional story, but at some point I was very much immersed in the commercial world of advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I was, you know, I was definitely enjoying it, like being in a creative atmosphere, making things with people, traveling, doing things that haven't been done before. Like those are all wonderful, you know, when you're a young person, you know, that's, that's really cool and interesting yeah. and energizing, but there was always a part of me that felt like something about this is not enough. Mm. Something about the life that people like the glamorous life wasn't enough. Yeah. Something about and what I was doing, how it felt for me, it was really, I wasn't really judging what other people were doing. It just didn't feel like enough to me. Mm. Yeah. So the bleeding heart thing probably comes back here as I did another event, which was, I always recognize this as a major turning point is when I, I was on the board of directors of um, a nonprofit organization based in Mozambique called ASEM. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was nice. I was on the board of directors. I thought I was being helpful, but it was just all kind of like not tangible in any way. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, what am I? what is this? What am I doing? Um, So I thought, well, I have all this access to incredibly talented people, not only in the agency where I was working, but all the, like, all the people that we could hire very easily, Um, working artists. And I thought, well, what if I engage them? And we did like an art show. Mm -hmm. And I called it Imagining Mozambique. Mm -hmm. And it was a show with I think probably almost 20 artists from all around the world and they were given a brief and they knew what this was for. And I had this show in Amsterdam. This is when I was living there. Yeah. And it just ended up being really, really successful. Again, kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to, you know, fulfill on something using your words of manifest to this energy in a way. Yeah. And then when I noticed what their reaction was, and of course I was raising money. So, you know, you could buy, you could buy the artwork what, you know, why don't I just do more of this stuff? Mm. And then Haiti happened. Uh, And I was still in Amsterdam at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was again, well, you know, what are we doing? We're we're just this global community. Um, This is a thing that's happening very far away, but what are we doing? And so it was another event that I decided to put together. Um, And this time I collaborated with some Mm. friends you know, it was something that we put together in a week. Um, and again, it had a lot of impact, not only in, you know, some financial sense, we were working with Habitat for Humanity. And, you know, we were able to build, I think, seven houses with the money that we raised, which was great. Um, but really, just like also the community building that happened as right. a result of coming together. Um, 
celebrating art, celebrating generosity, knowing that whatever it is that we were doing here was going to be helpful to somebody else. It's fascinating how each of those fundraisers were really fast. It's almost like as, as if, let me know if that's wrong, but when you had that idea and the moment when you start to work on it, it's like in a week, right? Or how, how do you take the first step? Maybe it was back to the very first fundraiser you, you did, but, or maybe it's later, but how, were there any hesitations? Do you have to rally anyone, convince anyone? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I love that you noticed that. That's not something I've ever noticed before. It, it was always very fast. Um, I think there was, because this is for something that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like this of has, ego. Yeah. Yeah. This has something to do with supporting clearly people who need it. Mm. I don't think that there was anything for me to convince. Right. Yeah. Um, it was always very easy for me to get sponsorship. I was a producer uh, for many years, so I just knew how to get shit done. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm good at getting shit done, the story is very compelling. Yeah people want to be helpful people are generally good i believe and so yeah. but they just need to be presented opportunities where they can also manifest their goodness yeah and so i think i just presented it in the right moment like kind of in the heat of the moment right yeah so it's almost i mean this is a beautiful exchange where you have this platform all the expertise and they have a way to engage in, in the beautiful art, either the art show or the fundraiser you are putting together for the world. So, wow. Is that, is that your first foray into the creative industry or did you do something before that? Yeah, I did something very different. <laughs> it's a funny story because I was, so um, the story is going to seem scattered, but so I grew up in Canada. Um, I got a scholarship in my last year of university here at UBC that allowed me to go and study in this sort of experimental program in Tokyo. And there is when I had real exposure to other people. I mean, I we've been traveling um, as a family every year to Japan yeah. um, and maybe we do other like little trips, but I'd never been to Europe. I'd never been exposed to people from like Turkey or Egypt, you know, this is very different places for me, but we were all studying in the same program. And I really felt like I was, I was with the world in Tokyo. Yeah. And, um, when that was over, it just felt like I couldn't go back to Vancouver at that point. Mm. You know? And I, I really wanted to see what is the life that will allow me to keep being with the world. Yeah. And at that time, so this is around 2000, you know, you have the internet. Yeah. And then I thought, well, I want to do something that matters. And so I just started going on job boards of, you know, <laughs> and, NGOs, NPOs, like what does the UN look for? Like literally trying to find a job yeah. with the UN. Um, and then, you know, it just kept coming up. Information technology, information technology. I was like, okay, that's like maybe the medium. Um, and, and then I you know, I had saved up a lot of money while I was being in Tokyo, strangely enough, because everything was scholarship, but I was also doing a lot of translation work. Mm. I thought, well, you know, I've made all these wonderful friends in Europe. I want to go visit all of them. And like, I, I studied European history. I wanted to go and I did that. I ended up falling in love with Italy. Yeah. 
which is also, you know, a central point in the Mediterranean. And in Rome, Italy is actually where many, well, two of the main UN offices are, are based. Mm -hmm. So you have the Food Agricultural Organization and the World Food Program. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, so maybe, maybe if I live in Rome, <laughs> maybe if I live in ancient Rome, I will study information architecture or information technology, and I will eventually work in the UN. That was my thinking. Yeah. And um, I, I, I went and I did that. I convinced my parents that that, you know, that was the path. I studied, um, you know, I studied HTML. I, you know, I, I studied CSS. I just studied like very rudimentary in, in Rome. In, in, in Rome, Rome, in the most yeah. unconventional place to do such a thing. Wow. Um, and then it's while I was actually studying Dreamweaver that I, I went to the professor at the end and I said, you know, really want to, do something with what I have. And I'm also an English speaker, right? So what, what's possible here? And he introduced me to somebody who was working at, these are companies were, that were once called new media companies that service mm -hmm. the United Nations. I was like, perfect. Yeah. So I was doing that um, for a few years. And then while I was there, um, I ended up eventually actually working for the UN directly. I left mm -hmm. the new media company and I became what's called a civil servant. Mm -hmm. And it was by far the most boring job I've ever had in my life. <laughs> by far, yeah. by far. But it was what ridiculous. attracted you to the UN? Well, just because I thought that isn't that the, like the, for me, it was the archetype Got of it. doing international aid work. Yeah. But in reality, it's fully, it's totally administrative, um, bureaucratic, right. slow extremely extremely slow mm. so while I was there and this is where the curveball happens I actually decided to start a gelato company <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous but I decided the gelato company would happen in South Korea there was no gelato real gel Italian gelato mm, that's smart that positioning yeah <laughs> um this was with a family member who was based in Seoul and then you know cutting that long story short is it eventually didn't happen and that came down to dynamics of relationship. Mm. This is probably the first time I faced real, a, a, like a, a tangible experience of sexism, um, you know, which was a blessing and a curse, right? Cause I was really hoping that would happen. But the blessing there was that whole experience of creation. You know, I was coming up with the identity, the name, I was getting inspired, looking at motion graphics at that mm. time. I was like, wow, there's so many th cool things that you can do kind of on screen. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, animation, you know, just thinking about how all those things can have continuity with the real world and mm. all that stuff was like really interesting to me. And even coming up with like products of what kind of gelato there would be and mm -hmm. how that would be represented. And so I was just really kind of uh, enjoying, well, really bathing in that creativity. So when that didn't happen, I just decided to kind of merge that thing called information technology and creativity and started to try and find the path towards that. And that's when the relationship dynamic started to reveal itself and that's when it ended. I and see. so I was unexpectedly back in Vancouver. Right, right. Like, oh, okay, I'm here now and my life just isn't happening. It's not playing out the way that I thought it was gonna play out. Um, and so that's when sort of, that would be a turning point that led towards me kind of entering into the creative industry, which ultimately mm. resulted, if you follow that narrative, it ultimately resulted in me creating my own agency. Yeah. Um, so that, that was like kind of the peak of that 
that yeah. that part of the story, which then had its ending. Right. And then, and then another chapter is your creative life, which is a whole new chapter that you're, you're still in that chapter now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would almost say there's, there's, I'm in a state of wondering in that I might begin, be just at the beginning of a new chapter right now. What is that? Um, so, you know, I've been a, I've been a coach now for six, seven years. Yeah. Um, and I, I plan to be a coach until as long as people would like to be coached by me. Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> but I also like, I'm just having an inkling and this is where just most of these things have started for me in the past as a bit of a feeling. I'm just having a bit of a feeling that there, I am going to be manifesting something more physical. Mm. Um, so my work right now is quite conceptual, right? It's right. an art of conversation the outcomes of that are also conceptual. It's also, you know, it's tangible for the person, but it's also intangible for me, right? Like I'm yeah. witnessing, but there's no- You don't feel, you don't, yeah, you kind of hold no it. There's no thing, there's no yeah. thing. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm also witnessing at a distance, right? So mm -hmm. I think my inkling or the feeling is that there's going to be like something physical maybe if uh, the way that I'm experiencing it right now is that it will be a physical space mm. and that it will serve the community in some form. I love it. It's, it's almost like a, a circle almost, right? I wouldn't say a new chapter, but you're bringing back what you love the most, like the people, the community, uh, the physical aspect, which is new to me, but I, but I don't know, maybe not so much to you, but like bringing them together and creating the next art for your life yeah I think so I mean my my former partner um of Pi the agency that we started together he he and I reconnected earlier this year um you know the there was a real fallout when I left the agency and when we reconnected it was just like such a it felt so so much in the right moment of time that we're reconnecting. Of course, the pandemic has urged us in a way to reconnect and sort of rebuild and reconcile things of the past. And so after that happened, he asked me towards the end of the conversation, he calls me monk. He's like, hey monk, you know, what do you think is the next thing? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, what, what's going to be your next thing? I was like, next thing? I'm good with where I am. <laughs> like, I'm really good with what I have. I, it took me a minute to get here. And I feel like I feel confident in what I do. Like I, I have, uh, I, I'm so fortunate to have um, choices in who I work with. Like, why does there have to be a next thing? He's like, but of course there's going to be a next thing for you. And it's almost as if that conversation was meant to be had, you know, that he- yeah that those words had to be said to me to just kind of open it up. Yeah. Um, I left it. I didn't really go hard on that idea. Like I had to have an answer. It's, it's almost like um, something is reaching out to me again um, yeah. very recently. And, you know, I think like maybe like m much of my life was reaching out in a way. Yeah. In that state of wondering, like, could it be this? Could it be that? And, you know, that really served me in, in, let's call it like my early adult years. And now, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in my forties and now, and there could be a part of this, which is I have so much more knowingness with myself and alignment that I can listen. Yeah. And so 
you know, him saying that I listened and now I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm still listening. And I, and I think that there is something there that is a next. Um, I'm not in any hurry. Uh, I don't think that I don't feel, I feel zero urgency, which is very nice. Mm. Um, but I'm definitely curious. How do you explore your curiosity? How do you explore the wonder? I mean, I think probably what happens because it's been happening is like the producer comes in. The producer. Uh, yeah. yeah, the producer yeah. comes in. So I'm like, uh, you know, I'm so used to working with creatives uh, for, you know, it's like 12, 15 years of my life. Wow. But now I'm also the creative. This is also a, a new revelation to me that, you know, during the pandemic, this most creative time of my life that I realized, oh, wait, I'm also the creative, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not just the backstage person, you know, who you don't even know is there, you mm-hmm. know, my nickname was Ninja, <laughs> um, but I, wait, I'm like, actually, like, I'm the, I'm the creator, like, I'm the, you know, I'm the artist or the, the director, and it's just like, okay, well, that's, that feels good, and I don't relinquish the craft I have as a producer I think like being a producer is is really helpful Mm. and so I think sometimes the wonder begins with something quite practical like I I I let myself have wondering yeah um and then it's just the producer if I were to take on her voice she's just like okay so what's possible here yeah right so you know to go to this idea of this one day physical space that I've already named. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to say what where you are is the physical space that is so, so pretty. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it is. I mean, it would be wonderful to space like this, but I I'm imagining that it's it's urban. I'm imagining actually that it's in Chinatown or the east part of the city where I would call like the heart of culture still beats. Yeah. Um wow. and that it's a building and that it's downstairs is where you have this sort of community space Mm -hmm. um it it, i would love it to be completely 100 percent non-commercial um it it would be kind of function as a hybrid between a community space and a gallery space Mm -hmm. where you know um my 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 husband partner yancy and i we just both know people that are doing really interesting things inspiring um groundbreaking whatever you want to call it, and being able to bring that here, as well as learning about locally, who's also doing that work, because I don't know. Yeah, so it's also, locally in Vancouver. Yeah, so it's also a way for me, this is like a channel for me to invite and know. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I dream that in the back are our offices, where I'm actually coaching in the back, yeah, he's writing his book or whatever. And upstairs, you know, my son Koji is is doing his homework, or you know, he's wow. like we live upstairs. Yeah. Um, so then your question of like, so what do you what's what is the first thing you do? Is I just I started to find out well, what does a building cost? Mm. Like if I want this to be non commercial, if I don't want to rely on oh I got to sell something, I got to make you buy something to pay for this. If if that's not what I want, I have to be able to like fund this whole thing Mm. building um partially and then and then probably the second thing that I would do once I find out how much something like that costs is to find out well how does if this is partially a community space how can how can the city of Vancouver 
also support this mm-hmm. in some kind of financial form. Yeah. Um, and make this like truly a community space where yeah. it's also, you know, maybe maybe our family is kind of a caretaker of this mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And that one day we will move on from it and somebody else can be the caretaker of the space. So I start with a little bit about what's practical. Right? Yeah. How much does it cost? Is this even like, should, should I continue dreaming about this or is, <laughs> this are, are the roadblocks too high that it just seems like maybe I have to think about this in a slightly different way. And wow. so what I have found out so far is like, oh, I can still, I can dream about this. This is not an insane dream. Um, so that's probably where like I- Like you said, it's very, it could almost become a business plan. Like, like <laughs> you said, it's very, very specific. And, and I can see the building uh, in Donald Vancouver next to Chinatown. <laughs> and what drawn you towards the community space? I mean, it's, it's kind of how things always work for me. It's what I need. Yeah. Right? So, you know, with, with Pi- with after what happened with Imagine Mozambique and Haiti, Love, Love Haiti was the project, is just seeing that, oh, well, you can you can take all the things that you like about this job that you're do, doing in advertising and you can put it in a context where it's actually having positive impact. Mm-hmm. And so what I was missing always was that positive impact, right? And so I yeah. thought, okay, well, I have to create this agency that does that. And that's just how, you know, that's just, a core tenant to what we do and then with um you know even with gelato right I was like really craving I think I was really craving creating something I think I was probably feeling a bit entrepreneurial in that point of my life and I think it probably is a result of having done several things sort of on my own right I moved out to Italy on my own I just done Japan on my own um so I think I was craving that and now with this with community, it keeps showing up for me whenever I'm thinking about, you know, everything from what what are going to be my uh, focuses in 2021. You know, even when I'm doing my sort of like weekly, you could call it weekly list or yeah. priority. I'm also always sort of considering how am I serving the us, not just what do I need to do this week. Like, yeah. what's, the, what's happening in the us space. And I always see this kind of like, I mean, obviously the pandemic has made it really hard to do that, but just like sort of this blank space where like there's nothing happening there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that that just feels really, I mean, it's not that it feels wrong. It feels, it feels sad. It feels missing. It feels kind of lonely if, if I'm totally honest now, right? Yeah. Living in Vancouver again for the first time in whatever, 19 years. I don't have community. Right? Yeah. So what so you create one. Yeah. So I, I have to make one. Um, yeah. And, and I think as an artist, right? When there's a blank canvas, you draw something and perhaps this this building to come. Do you have a name for it by any chance? Oh yeah, it's called gonna be called Cozy Cozy. Cozy Cozy. Okay. I love it. That's why I say it's very specific, you know, like when Cozy <laughs> Cozy is like on Google Map or on any map, then then yeah, it's do you, do you have a timeline on when when you plan to bring that to life? Wow, she's asking me for a timeline now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's really practical then. <laughs> I mean, I th- it feels like a 2022 thing. Yeah. Um, you know, as I mentioned to you before we be- began recording is, you know, I'm moving 
you know, I'm going to have to create new house again. And I'm, I'm kind of a, like, I'm a home creator. I'm, I really care about my environment. Um, so, and that takes energy. Yeah. So I kind of have to take things one step at a time with that. So I think once I feel solid in my sense of home, then I can start to, you know, press the gas a little bit harder. I want to visit that place so, so bad. <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah, you're marking uh, someday 2022. I will reach out and where's, where can I find this place where I would just Google it uh, on my own? Do you, have you ever read this book called The Art of Gathering? Tiny child um, by Priya. Yeah. I have it next to the bathtub as like the next book I'm going to read. Yeah. Because when you were talking about each gathering, you, I mean, the fundraiser, the event, the building, I was like, that book seems to be like perfect alignment with what you want to do next. Mm. I will, maybe I should put that at the top of the list now that you said that. I mean, I was just reading that on the plane yesterday and it was really good. Mm. I, I was surprised uh, by how good it was, especially the story, the detail around how each gathering came about and fall out. And each of them is an art. So mm-hmm. that's why. Yeah, it really is an art. There is so much. Um, I'm doing a group right now of first time women founders. Uh, we're, we're a little bit over halfway through the experience. And, you know, you can call these things group coaching or um, workshop, you know, these really kind of, I think, boring uh, corporate words yeah. that don't resonate with me whatsoever. Um, so I, I really am intentional about calling it an experience. And even in the creation of it, I really just tried to think, I tried to think, I mean, I should step into this. I, I thought like an artist, mm-hmm. I was about to say, I tried to think like an artist, yeah. <laughs> but I, I thought like, I thought as an artist, what is the concept that I'm trying to communicate or what is the feeling that I hope when it's all over, people leave with? And that's yeah. where I began. I really tried to imagine if I could feel that the feeling with them, what is the feeling, right? I'm the deliverer, so it's hard to have the exact feeling, but what is she walking away feeling? Mm. And working backwards from that, what then what is happening potentially in this experience that might produce that feeling? Yeah. Do you do that with every gathering you host or it's a more for the bigger the bigger ones I do I have done it more let's say proactively in the spaces where like there's a beginning and an end yeah right um that could be a day experience I did that with mothers um, a few weeks back on Mother's Day where we had a half day together so I started with that question first you know like what is it that I hope she feels Mm -hmm. And I, I realized when I was thinking about that as a, is that I hope she found, found something that she didn't know she was missing. Mm. Right. And so what, how do you, how do you produce that feeling? Um, and so that's what, that's how the design of that experience came about. But when I'm doing say like my one-to-one coaching, I am sort of thinking about it in the conversation experience, right? Like what's, mm what's the overall feeling I want to have in this conversation? And then through the arc of the experience, I, I have to discover that together with that person a little bit more. Yeah. So it's less of me being the director and more of me being a collaborator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that sometimes, I, I don't know how you feel, but like for me, one-to-one is way harder than group ones because mm. you are 
the agenda is a bit loose, right? You have a lot of things on your mind, but it's really up to that person to steer the wheel and you're just following through and guiding um, along the way. Yeah, and sometimes they come in with nothing, right? Sometimes they just, they're just there. Uh, I kind of call it like a lump, right? <laughs> and you have to help mold that lump for that person because they might be just so under-resourced that they just don't even know what they need in that moment. Mm. So yeah, there is, um, I can, I know what you mean by the hardness of that, that that is challenging. I think that that is some, sometimes also more, the more fulfilling work I do is to be able to do that collaboratively with another person and for the, to really witness that person also stepping into their, their power in this, you know, it's a, it's a much more intimate space I find with one-to-one. Mm. Um, and, and that's why I will never give up coaching. Like that's never going to leave my life yeah. um, because it really fulfills like on a certain type of connection that I really can't find in any other way. Totally understood. And if anyone wants to work with you, do you, uh, what type of people do you love working with? It's a hard question for me to answer. I mean, there's like an archetype, I guess, like an avatar client, right? If I picture my avatar client, she's a woman. She's a woman of color. I would say she has overcome explicit challenges and is still overcoming them. Mm. She is doing something that I believe truly matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, matter is quite broad. Yeah. Um, she has a, a depth of self-awareness. She's done a level of her own work, but she understands that the work is never done yeah um she sees me as sort of her her conciliary right yeah (laughs) i love that (laughs) yeah um you know like someone where she can go to with real practical stuff like oh my god this is happening um but also sees me as a sister right where she feels that level of safety and um knowingness that i have her back Mm. Uh, and that she can, she can reach out to me when she needs, whether that's not something I have to extract from her. She, she actually really understands that Mm. and is also respectful about that. Um, and that she is also, she does not need to be again, because I'm not a religious person, but like understands that there is more to the world than what we see and understand. Mm and has a willingness to trust in some of that. In some sense, I think trusting is something that I had to learn in the hard way, but trusting and letting go, surrendering, uh, however people put it, has been the biggest force behind what I'm doing now. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a, I, I call it thriving in chaos, but I don't know like how, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine a life without it now. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's maybe what I'm talking about here is when I think about her and her could definitely be a him for sure. Um, like somebody who is really wanting to see a real paradigm shift mm. in the world um, and in, in her humanness as well. Yeah. I think that that is maybe a sort of like a, a core, like a core belief that makes that one-to-one relationship 
really, really rich and interesting and inventive and creative. Yeah. And if listeners are, are them, uh, how, how can I find you? Uh, so I have a website, uh, third awareness, uh, third hyphen awareness.com. I was not, I've never really been interested, even though I come from the world of marketing and advertising and communication to commercialize who I am, you know, like pricing models and doing all that stuff like that is, especially when you're talking about an art of conversation or intimacy and authentic relationship is just, you know, yeah, (laughs) and creating any kind of financial transaction and that is extremely important but also sits incongruently for me sometimes so that I've resisted being very online let's say Um, but I created the third awareness recently because I felt a bit more expressive of how I see things as an art form Mm. Um, it's definitely linked in the bio so people can just click it oh yeah thank you um yeah and there you could just see if I'm if I'm going to be doing any upcoming group events, I'll, I'll post them there. I, I post it on Instagram. Yeah, I'm still kind of exploring how open I want to be, like how exposed I want this work to be. Because just because it does feel really special to me, whether it's the one-to-one or the experiences. So when they come through people, which is mostly how people find me truly, I'm mm-hmm. always surprised when someone like actually fills out a form, uh, you know, or whatever, or just reaches out to me cold. I'm like, oh my God, how do you even know I exist? Um, you know, that it just feels like a get kind of working in that place of trust, right? Yeah. There being something more than me. So I'm just sort of trusting what comes to me through the people that I build relationships with. Yeah, wow. I will definitely intro directly for all the folks that I know fit the profiles to send you more inbound requests. But if not, folks can just go to third-awareness.com, uh, which is also linked in the bio to see what Jamie's up to. Mm, thank you. Yeah, any final words you want to leave with the audience? This is such a beautiful, I, I, I'm so, there's so many moments when I have goosebumps. So I know people, people share the feelings, we'll share the sentiments. I know we're, we've gone off script in many ways, but I really liked this question that I think you asked in the end of, you know, is there something that you would want to say or message out to a fellow, maybe I'm thinking about my fellow Asian American. Yeah you know, it's like such a hard time recently for us. And something that's been very helpful for me, even before, let's say the epidemic of hate uh, started to hit the mainstream, is I've made like a very explicit um, action of drawing from my ancestors. Mm. So, okay, you, uh, you know, I'm doing air quotes, hate me because I'm Asian actually makes me want to be more Asian. Like I, I've noticed how much more I'm trying to speak Korean to my son. And I do a kind of a meditation uh, where, I'm, where I'm actually dialoguing with my ancestors. I see them. I not only see, say, my grandparents or my great-grandparents, I see all the descendants mm. or all, all of me. I am the descendant, all of the generations before me. And I'm explaining to them sort of what I do with my life yes 
I love I love doing the exercise. I sometimes do it to my future granddaughter and mm. and great granddaughter as well as as well as like the the ancestors. But that's just put things in perspective. You know, that is such a I don't know. It, it let me see myself in a way that I couldn't do it in my day to day. Very laser focused mindset. Yeah. Well, and it I I find it be it really helpful specifically in this moment of time too, which is to say whatever it is that you want to manifest now, like actually, and this is what happens in my meditation, they they bow to me at the end. They're actually they are supporting me and all of their sacrifices and you know everything that they have done so that I can exist is supporting me to go forward. And wow. so, you know, if I think about my Asian American brothers and sisters is just to say, we have, we come from such tremendous people. And I think it, I think we need to come into um, more connection with that. If that's through, you know, a meditation act, if that's through, you know, dialoguing with your parents and your grandparents, like that we can draw from their energy and, and become more resilient uh, through this moment in time. And maybe even more than resilient, we can thrive. Because I think yeah. that that's actually what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Connection, dialogue, having that, tapping into the energy and wisdom of ancestors and, and thrive very well. This is such a knowledge drop at the end. But thank you so much for sharing your time, the space, holding the space with us, uh, Jamie. I am going to put all the links in the bio. Folks can find out more. And I, I just, oh, I'm so grateful for, for this conversation. Oh, me as well. Thank you so much for, for reaching out. And I just really love your joyful energy. It's so wonderful. And the world is lucky to have more of your energy. Thank you. Uh, I will, I will uh, wisely allocate that. <laughs> I wouldn't like to store it away. <laughs> the, my, the producer in me says yes. Very yeah. good. Wow. Wow.